This is Andrew Gregson of Green Lab, and I'm sat here with Kathy Runciman, one of the co-founders of Atlas for the Future, also a board member of Megaversity, amongst other things. This is part of our podcast series, exploring interesting projects across different aspects of agriculture globally. And for me, you know, Atlas for the Future is one of these places where really interesting projects get showcased across the globe. But before we go into that, can you tell me a bit more about why you started it and how you got into this whole future thing? Oh, um, hello. It's lovely to be here. I'm very excited. I've got too much I want to say. Why did we start Atlas the Future? Really, we thought that there was space for a different narrative about the future, actually. So we started this a couple of years ago, and looking around, it felt like there was quite a lot of very tech-focused storytelling, I guess, and there was a very particular narrative about the future from mainstream media, which is mostly, it's a bad thing, protect yourself, you know, bad things are coming, and it felt like that left a very big space in the middle to say, what happens if we told stories of people and their work uh, doing things towards a better future and that sounds really simple <laughs> almost naive I'd say but but that was the space that we were interested in which is that there's a different narrative it's a more hopeful one if we show all the energy and the talent and the creativity being put in by people right across the world to try to fix things try to solve the challenges that we face then maybe the result of that is that more people feel that more things are possible and start yeah. Think about how they could get involved, what they can do. Yeah, it's interesting. So just going through the site, there seems to be you know a real diverse set of projects, and some of them are a surprise to me to see this from Good. from you know <laughs> insects to kind of tribal Google Maps insects, rubber vines. I mean, just looking through it, it there's clearly you know lots of different activities globally but how, how does somebody get involved how does somebody contribute to the atlas how can they add to it is it kind of self-selecting or is it no so we so we have an open submissions process there is quite literally submit your project or submit a project so you could tell us about something you work on or something that you've read about somewhere else, something that you know that somebody else is involved in. And at the moment, we've mapped about 500 projects around the world, and I'd say about 20% of those have come from people telling us our sort of crowdsourced ideas. A lot of the rest of it comes from our own editorial research. We have criteria that are deliberately broad. So what we say is a project could be on Atlas of the Future if it can basically explain the problem that it's solving, so the thing that it's, it's trying to contribute towards being part of of a solution for it. it has to be real so we don't write about concepts and ideas we write yeah. about projects that yeah. have actually they may have a long way to go they yeah. may still need funding more funding they may need to scale more but the project has started so it's real it can say the issue that it's trying to tackle yeah something about it is inherently original or creative or innovative because yeah. otherwise we would write about lots of things that are the same yeah. right yeah uh, and it has to have a long-term vision it has to be intended to be around for the long term there's lots of great short-term interventions to fix challenges that we face but we're a small team we put a lot of work into researching and writing things up and we want those to be things that tell a longer term story also I think that's important because one of the things that we were concerned about when we looked at that space was living in this very short termist world you know living in that world of you know somebody's next quarterly results and that actually we wanted to tell stories about people who say I'm thinking about the next generation there are people thinking about seven generations hence there are people People yeah. saying, my contribution is helping turn this around by one degree over my lifetime, and that this, this is this yeah. is important work and valid work. It's not all a VC-backed startup that you can scale in the next, you know, 24 months. 
there's yeah. other work. And I think the diversity is that we wanted to kind of create a symphony, I guess. It's like there's all the instruments of the orchestra and you don't know what that spark of inspiration in somebody's going to be, right? Yeah. And for some people it is the scalable startup. That's really important, yeah. right? But for somebody else, it's a community gardening project. And both of those things might inspire somebody to get involved and to think that a different future is possible. So from that, I like the, the analogy of the symphony. I also like the one degree of change, which is something mm. that I always try and focus on. So mm. for the next 50 to 100 years, if I can shift you know, somebody's perception of microgreens from an eight-year-old and it moves their degree of perception by half a degree a degree of 50 years, that's a massive mm. shift of change. And I think it will take several, from my perspective, as obviously it's Green Lab, several generations to see the changes in the environment around you know, the waste we produce, mm. the organic excess, the waste food, and the fact that we, don't, we can't grow enough food or fast enough to feed a growing population but in terms of your symphony your agricultural symphony yeah who stands out at the moment there obviously there's a couple of uk projects that i'm not going to call out just yet i'll let you do that <laughs> but from a kind of global perspective who's who's the loudest in the symphony who's doing most of the impact that you've seen in the kind of agriculture sector oh uh, you framed that question in quite a challenging way for me because I think we live in quite an impact-obsessed world, right? And actually, the impact of a lot of these projects is impossible to know yet because a lot of the people we write about yeah. are exactly where you are, which is they're contributing to the one degree of change. I think what shows us the impact is as you start to get a volume of projects submitted to you in a particular space. So yeah. not that long ago, we knew you. We had Green Lab Map and the project. We yeah. had Val Dara, who, which you know very well, which is an initiative of the Fab Lab in Barcelona. Yeah which is really a sort of experimental space to see if they can kind of make and grow everything that you need for a sustainable human life you know them as well as sort of as well as we do but then you see projects popping up like so in farm in berlin is an interesting one yeah. that's hydroponic greens growing in supermarket aisles kind of small kits to do mini micro vertical farms that are yeah. literally positioned yeah. in the supermarket aisle. you can see an equivalence of that in the new pret a manger vegetarian shops now where they've got a microgreen wall in the three new veggie shops but yeah. you know in farm in berlin when we mapped it had maybe two locations had just started with one supermarket chain called metro in berlin and i think they they call their sites in farmers they have over 100 sites yeah, now yeah. so that scale is starting to happen and there are projects we haven't even mapped yet look i mean the east coast of the states is getting really interesting for scale i yeah. think uh, and there really seems to be a movement behind there's almost the physical distance between people and the greens that they can eat most of which are grown on the west coast i understand in the states yeah and so now the projects in there's gotham greens there's yeah, the squared roots grass square which roots. is kimball musk yeah, yeah. Uh, Eden Works, another one I've, yeah. I've heard about. These are taking on massive spaces for hydroponic farming, aquaponic yeah. farming. I've just read about aeroponic farming. Yeah. I've just uh, lost myself in some articles debating the taste, that there's a taste war between hydroponically grown and aquaponically grown yeah, that's, that's, greens. There, there is a debate. Have you got a view on it? Which I tastes think, better? I, I think from well, from my experience, using fish waste to power or fish poo, as some people have seen in various news articles to power um, leafy greens we found that the aquaponics produce much more rounded healthier larger fruit compared to the hydroponic systems that said you know for me to be able to produce protein mm. in a single system so mm. if you're doing trout mm. or you do let's say um 
mariculture or you're doing carp or tilapia. Tilapia is not huge fish in the UK mm. in terms of the English diet, but having an opportunity to produce you know protein and leafy greens in the same system yeah. using natural means. Yeah, it's only natural assuming you feed the fish something that isn't artificial. Yes, then it's a closed. It's, it's a kind of semi-closed system. So yeah. for me, that's seeing more of these systems in the city are fantastic. But the biggest challenge is space, and obviously you're doing fish. You need a bit more space than a vertical farm. Yeah, so there, I think, I mean, one thing, so we've just mapped a project called Aqua Pioneers from Barcelona, which has also kind of come out of the, the Aqua We've Fabric actually thing. backed Guillermo's oh, have you? Uh, project. We've got it, we see and seed it last week. Because that's actually saying anybody could be an aquaponics farmer in their own living room, kind of. Uh, but I, the point for me is that people who are now thinking this stuff has to be open source, it has to be accessible to people. Like, if you can light that spark of inspiration in somebody and say, again, there is some something that you can do they have it there's another project yeah. which is open source sort of city beehives yeah, with that, that buzzbox well. bee yeah, sensor yeah. and again thinking about it's this is movement building right this is getting people who live in spaces where they've up until now potentially had no contact with the concept of how yeah. food is grown with being part of that system and making it possible it might not be the solution at scale in itself to, I mean everything we need to fix the food system that's a big I think my, my <laughs> big my, question my biggest criticism level against many of these models is the one the ability to scale mm. but also the point of access is that typically I stand in this lab and I point out the window at a town block yeah. where sometimes parents main focal point is is cash and food on the table and if that equates to a very cheap meal that can be bought really quickly compared to paying three pounds for 30 grams of microgreens I know where that decision would fall so I totally agree and I think that this is really it's something I want to say like we have to be really careful that I think that the projects that we celebrate and shine a light on aren't either all about startups that are going to need to operate at a massive scale or it's not kind of a hipster end product right yeah but then alongside those projects this is what I mean about the symphony effect are amazing community gardening projects right so I just got introduced by the awesome people of Vivolution who are running these amazing plant powered events drawing really big crowds of people saying whether it's for health reasons environmental reasons animal welfare reasons or whole lifestyle reasons are thinking about a world powered by plants more they just introduced me to Sarah Bentley of Made in Hackney so a community plant based community kitchen and cookery school and you look at a project like that that's thinking about exactly that critique that you've just put forward you take a project like repowering's um, energy gardens so being given space by TfL all along the overground lines and opening that up to community farming projects so that's why I can't single out one project for its impact I want to look at it is the system right and it's all the interventions and things that are happening right across the system I don't dispute that we need the big highly backed game changing scalable things but I actually think that we're coming out of a period where there there was starting to be a story told to people that kind of said actually your individual actions never going to be quite enough you know if it's not fixed by big business it's nice of you to turn off the tap yeah. fix the tap and strip in it's great that you want to grow tomatoes on your balcony but it's not enough and I reject that if enough people do enough and in, in something like the food system space people are thinking about personally what they can do finding the project that allows them to put a healthy meal on the table 
at a price that's I thought, affordable. I think, it, I think it's twofold. One is you can't grow food fast enough in a garden. For example, you know, a wall of basil in a, mm. in a pizza restaurant will be gone probably within an evening. Yeah. The pesto and the... Yeah. 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 So there's the practicality of rural farming that actually mm. that does serve the masses, the potatoes, the cattle, the pigs, the sheep that we will still continue to eat for the next probably 100 years. Mm. There'll be a decline at some point, even though the US reported an increase of 5% in the Wall Street Journal this year of meat production. And as the population grows, does the demand for meat grow at the same rate as the population? But then that's why storytelling matters, okay? So the question is, does it grow? It might, but we might be able to be part of changing the narrative. You know, the people that I see at those amazing Vivolution events, some of them are at the absolute beginning of thinking about where they're personal responsibility I think and the values that they'd like to live with intersects with what's possible around them in terms of how they live, how they eat, how they work. Totally agree. I'm I'm at the end of my food chain so to speak. I was born in 68 so Mm. I'm at a point where I can look forward to to whatever I look forward to but I can look back knowing that if I can change the hearts and minds of for example my my son who's 14, if I can change the hearts and minds of people of that generation that will be the half a degree of change over the next 50 years that will then give them insights as you say into healthier food, use less energy, produce less waste which should have a knock on effect further down you know, in terms of our existence on this planet. And people are thinking about the system even when they don't know they're thinking about the system a lot of the time. Yeah. And I love, you know, and, and, and that connection between waste and agriculture is so important. So you yeah. get the great projects where, you know, what is it that people are doing with their coffee grinds? Where How is uh, waste bread being turned into beer? Yeah. By Toastel. Yeah. Those kind of projects are great. But I was looking, actually, before talking to you, I was looking at a project that we've got in Peru where... Actually, they, they've made a sort of hydroponic lettuce farm by taking, capturing condensed air off billboards. So it's advertising billboards. They capture the condenser, turn it into yeah. water and use the water for a little mini hydroponics lettuce farm. And then that lettuce is freely available to pick. And it's literally under a billboard on the Pan-American highway in a really poor neighbourhood on the outskirts of Peru. Now, that's not solving the problems of that neighbourhood, right? I get it. But that was a project done out of by UTEC and Lima, by students. And it's there and it's lasted. And you can go onto the website now and tell you when the lettuce is next available to pick. I mean... I think it highlights the mechanism of capturing rainwater and doing something with it to grow food. In the the way that when you, for example, grey water, if you you shower, your bath or whatever, you brush your teeth, all that water goes down to a drainage process in a large industrial system and fed back to us in a kind of clean form with chlorine and a whole bunch of other hormones in it from the system. If we can clean the water that comes out of our property, using relatively low-cost scalable solutions and that is something I would see as a, a change a step change but I think it's more about educating people yeah to make them aware there are alternatives yeah. it's not the big business that'll fix it you can in some respects do this yourself with resources you can but bit, you know you want to I mean people are increasingly interested in food right right prospection and for some people it's out of absolute raw necessity but at the other end of that scale then there are I think you and I agree that there are chefs around the world doing amazing things Dan yeah. Barber is always is worth naming for for somebody who has a whole system view of what we need to do and sort of how it needs to change. You've got people like Dougie McMaster of Silo in Brighton who, within the environment he can control, is thinking about that whole system of waste, food plus waste, how to feed people, how to deal with the waste, how to turn waste into energy. And so these 
these systems absolutely connect and again you know just the things that look that's a lovely project and it's very small you know one of the favorite things i mean it's, it's jumping a bit but thinking about waste still one of our favorite projects in the atlas is from cameroon and it's a small startup called madiba and nature and, and founder was alarmed by unrecycled plastic bottles clogging up the waterways where he's from creates a sort of community activity to collect those plastic bottles then looks at these plastic bottles what can i do with it designs a fishing canoe out of it that fishing canoe is they're now making a lot of them he won a an award a the clean seas innovation challenge award but that's something that when we first sort of mapped it you know just it's a great story it looks like a nice yeah. thing but actually it's more than that it is changing things and he's thinking about the system he has ambitions to think about how to use plastic waste to build housing for people yeah right i mean we know that plastics is has become quite a it's amazing it's the blue planet effect right that's storytelling done on a mass scale yeah can change behavior projects like lolly straw you know dealing with plastic straws so making biodegradable algae based straws yeah there's an article this morning in the uh in the guide about the the UK government are looking to ban the production of straws and, and cotton buds, cotton, cotton buds yeah, great. which is uh, from a kid in the 70s when you do some yeah. infinitum it's tremendous but that's taken over 30 almost 40 years yeah. for us to realise actually we've, we've messed things up so much we have to stop producing these items or change the way we consume it you know the humble coffee cup it's not recyclable but also that tells story that we need policy as well yeah. right yeah. the policy makers have to be part of this but maybe they need to hear better stories as well and they need to yeah. see the work of people who are creating amazing innovations. So the, and the symphony that you're, you and obviously Lisa mm. are conducting is essentially a ground up set of movement, isn't it? It's a, it's a collection of, I guess, individuals doing amazing projects and designs and systems and services from the ground up trying to change the people at the top who are looking down, saying, look, this is, these are the changes we need to see. And out there, you know, it does well, go and give talks about projects on the Atlas and it, it is a spark of inspiration. It's a number of things. It's a shot of optimism. It's a spark of inspiration for some yeah. people. It is a look across these systems. Where are the connections? There's a lot we'd like to do with Atlas of Future Next, which is actually how do we help make those connections? What? How do we actually connect up some of these projects? What do people doing this amazing work have to share with each other? How do they learn from each other? How does that maybe help scale some of this activity for bigger impact? How do we bring people together? We just did a conference in Barcelona, 350 people sitting in a room, and literally they stayed kind of glued to their seats. It absolutely was a business conference right it was a cultural event at a cultural center and there were people telling us afterwards i just need more of this like it's part of what might move me might get me to do that thing i've been thinking about might encourage me to take part in the thing i've been meaning to do my biggest frustration in all of this is that i can't do enough fast enough (laughs) i can't make enough change fast enough time and my limitation is frustrating the hell out of me and so by having this disseminated ecosystem of other people who are taking up challenges across the globe yeah. it makes me feel actually great other people are have taken the baton and oh Thomas is looking at the kind of some of the open source beehive stuff in uh, in, in Valdara we've got Richard obviously in London with his microgreens in underground tunnels which is about controlling humidity and growing produce yeah, consistently it's, it's a fabulous growing steadily. underground yeah. so it's all these different individuals doing you know, amazing projects for me we need to do more of them and do it a hell of a lot faster okay so exact, and then exactly that point is actually one of the shifts we need to make is 
is from the idea of like individual success being what we've all sort of somehow been educated to value most to the network and the collective and the community. Yeah, which is right? cash is king. It's actually impact is king, isn't it? How much how much change can you make? Better, good change to somebody's environment. Yeah. Using a set of resources that are freely available or a low cost, accessible and affordable. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking about yeah. the fact. That, I mean, I I don't think I'm part of the tech will save us kind of mindset. I think I'm part yeah. of the tech will help us, but people will save us. You know, people will. It is the work we're going to do. The thing that makes me incredibly helpful is I think that we've rediscovered the power of the community. And that's why some of these projects that look quite small, they are more than the sum of their parts. Yeah. Right, a lot of them. And I think people are looking around them. You know, perhaps we had to be face to face with the unbelievable potential shittiness of it all, if I'm allowed to say that. Right. Of what, how grim, (laughs) of how dangerous and difficult things can get. And it's going to be messy for a long while. But in order to look around us and remind ourselves that maybe that person right next to you has something to offer too and you have to make the connection and maybe our networks that go beyond our community but what's happening in the next community and what's happening somewhere where we can connect within another country yeah so that's per example technology helps us to do that so so the atlas becomes a an ecosystem of i guess of connect individuals sharing a common vision and it enables them to share ideas projects even collaborate on similar initiatives to affect you know real impact i hope so i mean Lisa, fabulous Lisa Goldapple, our editor-in-chief. And I, you know, we're a tiny team and it's a humble contribution. Like we don't pretend for it to be anything other than that. But the reaction that we get from people just tells us that there's something in shining a light on people and their yeah. work in this way and telling these stories that maybe is connected with the possibility of increasing participation in creating the future we want and need and hope for. Okay, well, thank you for that, Cathy. In terms of where people go to find out more about the project? Alexofthefuture.org. As I say, people can submit a project, sign up for our newsletter, a little weekly shot of joy for people in the newsletter. We're on the obvious social media channels. We'll be doing more events. Uh, we partner with amazing people like yourselves, like Green Lab. Thanks so much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Bye.